COP. This program is uncut. It contains strong language in some adult situations. Discretion is advised. All the way live radio, CKUT 90.3 FM, every single Wednesday from 3 to 5. This is Pro V. Big shout out to Widget and big shout out to CKUT for keeping the programming going. Big shout out to DJ Buddha Blaze who uh, took the time to do an interview. And that's what today's show is it's an interview with Buddha Blaze, um, DJ, radio host producer, executive producer, road manager, so many, uh, you know, instrumentalists, uh, so many, so many different skills, so much experience in this, in this music game, and uh, glad that we had the, you know, that we took the opportunity to, to talk and uh, put everything down, and uh, somebody who's been on CKUT for for a good 20 years now, as well as did work on K103. And, uh, but yeah, man, uh, without further ado, let's just get into this interview. Um, And then after the interview is, uh, I'm just going to play a little bit of a a mix that DJ Buddha Blaze did, um, just to fill up the the end of the the two-hour spot. So without further ado, all the way live radio, CKUT, 90.3 FM, interview with DJ Buddha Blaze. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back. Peace. Well, let's start from the let's start from the beginning. Um, where did you grow up and describe it, the environment? I grew up on the Mohawk Reservation on the south shore of Montreal called Gahnawage, which means by the rapids. Uh, there's about seven, eight thousand people here when I was growing up. We're about at ten thousand, eleven thousand, maybe twelve with non-residents. Uh, no sidewalks, no street signs, no street names. Um, everybody knew everybody. If you weren't here, if you weren't from here and you were here, people would want to know why you're here. Type of a vibe. Very close, close uh, knit community. All everyone who lives here is native, so it's like you know you know everybody that's here. And then 1990 happened, and that was obviously a whole thing. Uh, the Oka crisis, the 1990 blockade, where basically for three months, uh, the Canadian army occupied my town, and uh, we had a, a blockade blocking one of the main arteries from the south shore onto the island of Montreal. So uh, initially it was like small town vibes, and then after 90, it was um, it was kind of weird because we're a very English town, so it was like a bunch of English people living in a super Frenchified place that everybody hated us because they thought we killed some cop that they found out years later we didn't, so... Uh, growing up, it was weird. It was a small town, then it turned into kind of understanding that I was native and different. And yeah, I got into music uh, real early, though. Here on the reserve, there's a radio station. So I uh, started hanging out there when I was 12 and got my first show that, that same year. So that was my growing up vibes, just small towns, radio. Yeah, that was the next question was, how did you discover your musical interests? Uh, my my uh, late brother played guitar. He got me my first guitar, uh, Winter 89, so I was 11. And I started learning acoustic guitar that whole first year. Then I started uh, meeting more people around my age who wanted to get into playing music. So we sort of just uh, formed a band and started jamming in one of the guys' basements. <coughs> just learning cover songs and playing cover songs 
topics on. Um, yeah, that's 11, 11, 12 years old. Started playing guitar. Then I was a singer guitar player in a, a cover band. Okay, cool, cool. And um, what, at, at what point did you discover hip hop? You got to repeat that, you broke up. You, you sound a bit broken up too, but when you speak, are you, are you hearing yourself clear? Maybe it's just the connection because sometimes the recording goes well after, you know, like you record your side and you record my side and you know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, if, 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 you, if you hear yourself fine, then I I'm hear myself sure after fine, but I don't hear you. You know, you can also record okay. audio through Pro Tools and just grab the, the audio capture if you're worried about it, but whatever. Yeah, I trust, uh, I trust the Zoom. I was just making sure you heard yourself good. As long as you hear yourself good, then I think... No, I hear you starting to talk like that. Okay, so what if we kill the video? There we go. How does that sound? Fine. All right, okay. what's the next question? Yeah, um, so the question was, how, did you dis how or when did you discover hip-hop? along that musical, you know? Uh, way, way, way before any of that. Um, 85? 84, 85, maybe? Um, yeah, the, the, like, I remember hearing Run DMC uh, with my brother, but I think the one that, like, I really remember myself sort of getting into was the first Beastie Boys album. So that was, was that 86, late 85, 86, something like that? Yeah, because I think Def Jam started in 85 and Beastie Boys were out by 86. So it was like Beastie Boys' first album and then um, uh, Tougher Than Leather. Um, Run DMC. Uh, Run DMC. Uh, you know, just random public enemy stuff. Also, like growing up, so my father worked in New York City a little trailer that we stayed in in new york state so me and my mom would go there on the weekends to go see my dad so he wouldn't have to drive the extra three four hours and go through the border uh, so he would just we would just stay at this spot in uh, plattsburgh so i i was exposed to the mtv really early on uh, mtv raps mtvo raps as well as the box uh, we had satellite here back here on my reserve way back when there was only like two channels there was a six and twelve, and if you had an antenna, <laughs> yeah. if you had if you had an antenna, maybe you could catch ABC, CBS, and uh, NBC, maybe, and, yeah. and NBC, yeah, you know, uh, five, three, and, and twenty two. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then, of course, there was PBS, which you know is fifty seven, thirty three. Yeah, exactly. uh, but it was very limited, you know, and we didn't need, like for people listening to this, we didn't get global till like the nineties. Oh, late nineties. Late nineties. Like yeah, yeah. I remember. What was I'm so glad show? you remember all the, the the precise numbers with the channels. That's great. Like like Clar like Clarissa Flockhart's big show there, Ali McBeal. I remember when that first popped off. Yeah, that, that was, was like, uh, global. That was like yeah, that was like when global first came out, and I was like, wow, another English station that has all the American shows that I want to watch. <laughs> and Cause, funny because we didn't yeah. have Fox, and then Fox came. And then you had yeah. Fox. It was, it was pretty funny. but And oftentimes, Global had the same schedule as CTV or CFCF12. Or Fox sometimes, too. Because <laughs> they were just taking Fox's best shows. But yeah. So um, I remember seeing a lot of stuff on the box, a lot of stuff on uh, MTV. Uh, so yeah, like... Uh, and then I remember, like, I remember, 
when nobody move, nobody get hurt, the Run DMC track, uh, Run DMC, the NWA track, uh, that album came out. Was that their first album or their second album? Uh, it has the bank, the bank robbery uh, track where Easy goes in the bank robbery and at the end he's like, and when she pulled up the skirt, the bitch had a dick. So it's basically a, 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 a Slick Rick style song of them robbing a bank. And I just remember being in my brother's Nova his race car and him like get in and like him blasting this music and it being like holy shit they're swearing in this <laughs> like like the first time really hearing like explicit music yeah nwa that that particular track i gotta look and see which one that's on if that might even be an easy solo no 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 it's definitely I'm almost, uh, yeah i'm almost positive it's like from the second Maybe, you know what? You might be right. It might be from his first solo record that was produced by Dr. Dre. There's somebody listening going, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> or are both wrong and they're just... <laughs> but yeah. But I, yeah, but yeah cool. that was, uh, that's, that's one of the big memories I remember was like hearing those, those tracks, definitely. And what was the first album you purchased? First hip-hop album I purchased? Yeah. Shit. That's a good question. Like whether it was your own money or, or you were like, mom, dad, get that for me, whatever it was, you know? Um, I can't remember. I can't remember one. I remember my first vinyl I ever bought. Cool. But What's it wasn't hip hop. It wasn't hip hop. It was the Misfits. The Misfits uh, Walk Among Us, which is just a super sick album cover, but also some really good music. And you bought it on vinyl? That was the first uh, piece yeah. of music you ever purchased? Uh, on vinyl, yeah. For okay. sure. What was the I first piece of music you ever purchased? Ever. Wow. Uh, you mean like on CD, I guess? Or like for me, it was a cassette tape. It was like Michael Jackson, Dangerous, I think, was the first. I mean, I, I remember bought. I remember having, dude, when I was young, I had a lot of music, so I can't really remember. Like, I remember having the first Guns N' Roses album. I remember getting the first Helter Skelter album. Like, growing up, um, it's almost it's not unsimilar to how production producers search for albums i just look at the cover be like yo this is sick yo, i want to <laughs> hear this like let's check out see what this sounded like so coming from because from the age of like 10 11 12 i was super into metal hard rock rock classic rock punk until about well basically until all the bands that i really enjoyed put out their next album and they all sucked and either some of them were just like the times had changed so much because they're putting out an album now in the time of grunge when they were in a time of metal or whatever it had been, you know, yeah. or alternative now. Um, or a lot of people try to, to like become alternative or become almost like rap. Like there was one band I really liked called Machine Head and their like second or third album came out. And the guy was rapping and I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, this sounds stupid. So around that same time, like mid 90s, probably 90, uh, 96 probably 95 96 uh, a lot of my friends in high school were all super heavily into hip-hop by this point and it was very much like the metal heads and the hip-hop heads you know there was a decisiveness between them and um but one of my buddies was just always cool and always played music so we, i would like ride around with him and he would have uh, a system he was one of the first people i knew with a system in his in his um jimmy his blazer and he would play like the first uh, uh, Jizza album. He'd play the ODB album. You know, he'd play the all of those albums that had first come out in uh, 95, 96, 90, I guess even into 97, right? At that point. 
Mm-hmm. What year did uh, the first ODB album come out? That was 95. So, yeah, so 95. Jizza was 95, right? Yeah, I believe so. And then uh, 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 Method Man's first album was 95 as well, or was that 96? Ni- 94. 94. So yeah, there you go. So it, would have been, so it would have been 94, 95, 96. And just hearing all that music and being exposed to it. And then, like, I think one of the, uh, and it's funny, most people do this from what I've seen. I really got into to Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill really had an aesthetic uh, musically and visually that just uh, appealed to me as, I guess, someone who was into harder music. You know, a lot of, like, black and white, a lot of, like, they were using a lot of rock stuff. So sometimes I would hear something and know what it was, and that, that fascinated me. Mm-hmm. And the content was very, like, hardcore, was very violent, was very, like, about drugs. And I had just started smoking weed, like, I was 17 when I started smoking weed. So that's uh, around that, 97, 96, 97. So yeah, those were those were the things that really got got me into hip hop. Was my buddy Arunyarunyas uh, and uh, my cousin Craig, who both had crazy systems, and and then a little bit later on, uh, a girl I dated, her best friend was just like a music connoisseur. He just bought music, con- and I don't remember if it was like it might have even been the Colum- the Publishers Clearinghouse or Columbia Records days, where you you picked yeah. like a hundred albums and they sent it to you, and you paid like nine cents or something stupid. Yeah, 12 for one deals. I remember him being like, here, here, Buddha, like, take this CD because I don't like it and I know you'll like it. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, here, it's this guy called Big L. I was like, all right, cool. And he gave me the Lifestyles of the Poor and Dangerous. (laughs) And I was like, oh, cool. Who's this guy? And I was like, oh, this is a sick record. Like, and yeah, so that kind of, it's funny because a lot of the a lot of hip hop stuff came to me in different ways. I, uh, you know, only later later on when I joined a hip hop group and I had someone who was sort of my mentor show me like, oh, check out rap pages and check out the source and check out rap genius and check out the you know what I mean? Like I never knew any about those. All became <clears throat> sort of things to go back to as reference and start reading and learning about everything because I was like ten years behind at that point. You know? Yeah. So that's that. That would be how I really got in Wu Tang, Cypress Hill, you know the the harder stuff, Big Gal, eventually um, Gangstar, you know Funk Dubious, uh, The Roots, yeah, just and then and then and then come the late '90s, it was uh, a lot lot of underground stuff. Probably stuff I couldn't even name you the artists anymore, but. I have singles of them and like I remember the songs but Mm. it became it's funny because back in I guess the 50s and 60s music really was a singles game so like you put out singles all the time singles 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 yeah so that's what it was that's what it was in like 99 to like say 2004 five everyone was just putting out singles all the time you might not even put an album out for a year or two yeah putting out singles and the singles are standing up on on themselves to, to get you where you need to be so yeah, I have tons of singles of bands that fuck. Like I remember, remember like so. Shout out to to Toolman. One of Toolman's good friends is Khalil, Khalil, who's one of the DJ Khalil, yeah, from South South Scientific. And I remember being like, bro, we used to play South fucking Scientific in like '99. Like we had one of the singles, and I was trying to remember what the single is. I think it's Act Right or Act On It or Act Up or something. But I was like, bro, I fucking used to play all that shit back in the day. So it's funny, you know what I mean? Like to see that convergence and that sort of uh, maturity happen. 
Like mm-hmm. now that guy, that guy works with like Dre and he's like, he's, you know, he's sold probably millions of records, whatever. He's, he's, he's tightly knit into the West Coast musical scene in the yeah. United States now in hip hop. Yeah, man, definitely. What was the, um, what was the first hip hop show that you went to? First hip hop show I ever went to. Wow. Let me think about that. It probably would have been. Uh, no, it would have been at Lollapalooza. And it would have been the Beastie Boys for the Ill Communication album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that probably would have been the first show because I was still underage going to shows, but there, there weren't a lot of hip hop shows that came to, to Montreal. Uh, unless you were really in the underground and knew what was happening. And even at that time, like let's say 95 to to 2000 or even 99, there wasn't that much going on. You know, like you had like the shows where a big show would come like um, Limp Biscuit with Eminem or something, you know? Yeah. But it, there wasn't. Well, yeah, really- they used to cross like, well, even like you're talking about Lollapalooza is like that was basically. Ultimate cross. That's, that's, that was, was Beastie Boys the only band in that festival, like the only um, hip hop band in that festival, because um, I, yeah. I feel I feel like they only used to have one or two. Like it, you know, Cypress yeah, Hill, was, I feel like was, joined them in the later nineties. There was them um, on that tour. There was them. There was George Clinton. There was the Breeders. There was uh, Smashing Pumpkins. There was Luscious Jackson. There was, you know what? There there was secondary stages, and somebody told me like, oh, didn't you see such and such at that show? And now i can't remember who but it was like someone super dope uh yeah so it probably would have been beastie boys then it would have been the um gangstar cypress y clef public enemy uh bust us and flip mode with gangstar at the um it was called smoking grooves mm-hmm. and, and that was an amazing fucking show man was that a jerry park yeah, that was at the uh, the tennis court. Yeah, cool. And then after that, um, right right after that would have been the Hard Knock Life tour, and that was like the biggest show because that was at the Bell Center or Forum, whichever it was at the time. And yeah, that was like everybody was <laughs> fucking Method Man, Red Man, um, DMX, DMX, you know, uh, Memphis Bleak with Jay Z. Uh, I don't even remember who else was on. Those are the main ones. Yeah, but yeah, that was a great that was a a great great experience as well. Seeing it in a a real real venue where you would see a regular rock show because you got to remember back then this was all still new. Like, yeah, you know, that it was still the had first manifested itself to what mm-hmm. it is today. That was the first ever tour of that size, I believe. So definitely, it was something. Uh, yeah, that had never had happened before. Yeah. And um, in the midst of all this, do you, do you remember when your first DJ gig was? Well, I mean, I started, well, radio, radio started, came first, right? Then, I started DJing in 91 on the radio. And not yeah. long after, I bought my own first mixer. But not a DJ mixer. I only got into hip-hop DJing in 99. But before that, I had a regular, like a house PA mixer with two CD players and two turntables. And I would I would DJ gigs. I would do like uh, baby showers. I would do weddings. I would do dances. Whatever, whatever I could do. And in retrospect, man, they used to fucking shortchange me so much. 
compared to what the other guys are charging. But yeah, that uh, would have been the early '90s, and then and then I was doing radio all the time here, and then I I, I joined a hip hop group of all native guys here under reserve, and hip hop in Montreal was basically born as far as it being on a large scale more than two hours a week here on the reserve here in Gunawaga at K103. You know, we started doing Monday to Friday or Monday to Thursday, 6 p.m. till 3 a.m. all urban programming. And when, for example, that Jay-Z tour came, you know, all of those people were with K103. K103 was the main sponsor. K103 was giving out tickets. K103 got all the interviews, all the drops. I mean, so did CKUT, obviously, because you can hear them. But, you know, it's it, it's no secret that uh, K103 championed hip-hop in Montreal for a long time. And I was lucky enough to sort of step into that realm when it was happening. And there were some characters at the time who were involved. One guy thought he was fucking howard stern of hip-hop uh he used to just be he was sort of like me but not funny so imagine my crisp but, but you're but you're not disrespectful you're dry but you're not disrespectful yeah like uh i can be disrespectful if need be but i never am my my disrespect comes from you know the truth <laughs> that's the way i look at it i say things that are true and sometimes that can embarrass people and they can be disrespected, but whatever. Uh, so he, he didn't really, he wasn't, he wasn't really that funny in my opinion. Like, Oh, anyway. And so we tried to like get on with the hip hop group and he sort of dissed us at first. And we just kept doing our thing till eventually I was able to transition from doing what I was doing to doing hip hop as well at K103. So at this point I'm doing regular radio and then I'm doing a hip hop radio show on Fridays um after bingo so 10 30 to like three in the morning i used to do a freestyles from 11 30 to 12 it was amazing people call in they try to diss me and talk shit and i would just like oh, i ruined so many people's egos on that show it was amazing that's when i first started using all of the 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 sound effects now it's not as prevalent anymore on on the radio show but during the, the heyday the sound effects were key we used to have the necro sound effects that was right when um Chappelle show was popping so the fuck everything with the, the one liners yeah yeah all the rick james stuff was popping so we were using that for a couple of years you know and um but in 99 i was i was doing my thing and i linked up with orion from shades of culture i remember my boy jj was like oh you gotta meet orion he's in shades of culture i'm like okay cool so i met him at the radio at the record store actually um the old taboo i think it was mm-hmm. and and he gave me a copy of uh shade's latest single and he was like you know you should come to the show sometime it's mind state um yeah it was probably mind state or island i'm from or um yeah that's the same one isn't it actually? yeah shine maybe main yeah, objective or shine and i think it was shine because it, yeah it was a white label okay cool which i still have um so yeah so uh, I ended up meeting him again at, at another, uh, he used to work at Moog, had Moog DNA was a store for a hot minute before Moog. Yeah, man, I remember the, that. The juggernaut, before it became the juggernaut that it is as far as 
musical uh, equipment. They had a small little shop inside of DNA Records. And you could go upstairs and there was a hip hop spot and that's where he worked. So kind of got to know him there and he started inviting me to come to the radio show. And at that time it was Flo, Orion and Pat Reck. Uh, so I started coming and that was actually right when I started coming was right when they had just gotten the cover of the mirror for the best of Montreal. So back in the day, you know, cult Montreal is the only real paper now, but before there used to be the mirror and the hour, there was two of them mm -hmm. and, the, and the mirror would do a yearly best of uh, which the cult, uh, which cult magazine actually does now instead. And uh, they won, they won uh, best radio show. So they were going to do a photo shoot. So I remember one of the first times I went to hang out with them, it was to go to this photo shoot. And eventually we did another one with me in it because we had won a few times in a row. But um, that, that's kind of how I got involved with, uh, with CKUT and with doing that hip hop radio show. And that would be probably my first hip hop gig per se. I mean, unless you mean at a show show, then it would have been under pressure, probably 99. Under pressure 99 or under pressure 2000 was the first year I started spinning there. Mm -hmm. that you know i mean since since then uh uh you know what did we call it <laughs> <laughs> the uh the f boy stage yeah the fuck boy stage uh, the last few <laughs> the last few years we've been given the fuck boy stage and you know that's my own doing because i'm never around this is you know i've been touring the world for fucking seven years now so it is what it is but um yeah it would have been 99 would have been uh under pressure doing the skate the skate stage yeah why don't you why don't you talk a bit about um what the radio meant at that time when you were you wow. know when you just connected with off the hook and 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 just the the, yeah, va well, the I mean, value the community behind it uh yeah i mean i didn't really realize i don't think i realized that until i really got into it but yeah it was a it was a really important vehicle for a lot of people in the city for a long time and you know, everything is, in con con everything is in constant change in life and nothing will stay the same and nothing is going to be forever. Uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, so we had a slot from 2 till 4 a.m., which is a fucking ridiculous slot. Like, to think I did that for almost 10 years um, through different jobs and different relationships and different things. Uh, but it was the... I, in, in retrospect, we should have never changed slots. Because there was something about that two to four slot, mainly that the bars closed at 3 a.m. Yeah, because so, you talked about the timing, right? Um, the timing of the night with the bars closing, with the freestyle half hour still being exactly. at that same slot, which would have been three, starting at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. So you see all these people coming out of the bars and or artists that were still in town because they were at the venue and maybe they finished their show and now they're waiting for the 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 bar to count out to pay them or whatever we would get people come through we'd get yo i remember so if anyone's ever been to ckut how it is is you walk into the hallway and before the main studio there's a, a smaller studio to the right and it fits maybe you know six ten people say six people yeah, tightly uh, like... tightly yeah tightly it's a stand-up studio it's like a little fishbowl fish fishbowl and then you walk into the main studio so what, what we used to do, there used to be so many people, like literally 20, 30 people, 40 people uh, waiting to rap that we started to close off the studio. So what we would do is only the VIPs, only the people who were allowed, who were cool enough or who we wanted to be in the room with us 
would actually come into the studio where we'd be spinning the records and we'd be on air. Everyone else would flow into that smaller studio and there's a, there's a window that faces the DJ because it's, it's made to be a, a news studio. So what happens is you're in the big studio, you're doing your show, whatever, and every time it's time for the news, that person just pops in that little room and you turn on their mic, they do their news, they leave. So they don't have to interact with you. They just come and go or whatever, you know? So that's what we would use it for. And I don't know, I don't even remember how long that lasted, but that was, that was amazing. Just to have 20, 30 local rappers all there, just like smushed up together, trying to get their, their turn, you know? That's, uh, the energy's, that energy's incredible. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, we used to have guys, uh, a lot of the old school guys who just, you know, they, they had their time in music and they moved on to do other things like, uh, like Bless. Bless would always be there with our big man, Molavi. You know, there was always a core crew of people there every week and uh, definitely was community. We used to have what we would call the van of rappers. And the van of rappers uh, ended up becoming uh, Ninth Majesty, which was this like short-lived Montreal mega group uh, consisting of pretty much every rapper that would come rap with us at the, at the station. So you had like Odeo, who now lives out in the East Coast. You had um tommy crew uh not tommy cruz what am i saying <laughs> uh sorry another tommy to- tommy matola yeah matolo you'd have lopeshi you'd have yushua you'd have narsi you'd have nofi you'd have fucking san uh san hill you'd have and that's like that's just seven that's seven dudes right there you know what i mean and i'm sure there's ones i'm forgetting too like um the guys who, who ended up becoming the, uh, I was going to say the Argonauts or the Argobots. I can't remember what the hell they're called. Autobots? No, that's a whole crew of that. But anyway, just it was a, it was a community thing. And, and then it got to a point where, you know, under pressure started bringing in all these great hip-hop groups. And they started having shows on a regular basis at an affordable price. And that would pop on to people coming through to the station after and, yeah, so I definitely think it was an important thing uh, for its time. And I think moving the slot from noon, from, from 2 to 4 to midnight to 2 uh, kind of killed us in a way. I mean, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it didn't. Maybe it was all meant to happen that way. But I yeah, feel you like know, times was... changed as well. You know what I mean? Uh, but the bar still closed at 3. Yeah, but there's still and not uh, that environment of, of many rappers showing up somewhere for free you know yeah but you know what we used to get a lot of phone calls and that's what i'm talking about too just mm-hmm. people calling in mm-hmm. like a lot of people calling in because you're you're leaving the bar you just got back you know but nowadays like i said people are on instagram they're on twitter they're on fucking soundcloud they're on twitch they're not necessarily listening to the regular radio yeah do, do you so, remember any out-of-town artists who, who came through when you any uh you're talking about more, there's more when I, like before I, I joined the group, I would say, than when I was there. But um, Peanut Butter Wolf, 6-2, uh, uh, who else did we have come through? We had some comedians come through. We were on a show called, uh, called Insomniac on yeah. Comedy Central. Comedy Central, yeah. And, and Which is part of the intro uh, for the rap hour, half hour. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dave Attell, one of my favorite comedians, actually, in life. Uh, and I just remember 
Orion being like, yeah, this guy, and he's got this show, and it's like he stays up all night. And I'm like, bro, is it fucking Insomniac with David Tell? And he's like, yeah, that's it. I'm like, holy fuck, we're doing it. He's like, it's cool. I'm like, bro, I'm like, that's like one of my favorite comedians. I'm like, that show is fucking sick. So he would just go to a town for a week and, and stay up all night, every night, and just see what happens at night in those cities, go to the places that are like, all right, the guys who work all day and they finish at like three, and then they're like up all night for the rest of the where do they go eat? Where's the places where uh where they yell at you when you open the door because you're letting the light in the street light in, it's so dark, you know, that's the only light in, <laughs> in in the room and it's like all bums or not bums, but like fucking career drunks and <clears throat> the guy's dark, so I was like he came through and it was just it was amazing. And then he actually came through again years later. He was just in town for for uh just for laughs and we got him to come through again to just talk some shit and i remember that's i have one of the best doves and he came in talking about uh let's rename iceland and uh or rename the northwest territories and i don't know it was pretty funny so we, we i would say more when i was before i was there there was more artists that came through when i was there it was all local people and every week would just be tons of local people and i was just trying to get the new local guy to come on or you know, we were out there every week. There was a party to go to. There was an event going on. So we were always out in the scenes, so to say. Um, and then we would meet people and, oh, yeah, well, I got this song or, like, I got this or, hey, I got this show coming up. Like, all right, come through. And our whole thing was, like, yo, we'll put anybody on. You just got to come. It's, like, if you show the fucking – if you show the the initiative to show up at 2.30 – in the morning to promote your shit then we're going to put you on because you showed up at 2 30 in the morning yeah that's how we always looked at it it's always an open door policy if you if you've got the fucking goal to come so yeah was there a time uh when you truly believed in the hip-hop scene here in montreal and expected it to flourish internationally uh no never 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 i always thought the best artists should have moved somewhere else where they could have done that uh, there was a time for a brief moment where there was a real culmination of all of the best artists putting out music. But you know, let's, let's be realistic here. We live in a Francophone society that supports Francophone artists and Francophone culture. So if you're trying to do rap, you're not going to get on. Like, look at Les Anticipateurs has tens of thousands of followers and play, millions of plays and does shows. And they may do shows in like third third sort of spot cities but they sell out and they, yeah. they got merch and yeah and it's because it's all in french like they're they're so down to support that whereas i feel like someone here doing english it's already two strikes against you you're doing <laughs> rap and it's in english like, oh, who do you think you are you know so that's how i always looked at it but definitely you know like i always knew narcy i've always said narcy's been one of the best artists and i've always champ- championed him forever since i've ever known him you know what i mean and he's at one point i was his dj and i've helped produce some of his records and i've been there to during the process and and you know he's one of my best friends so i've always i've always known he's been somebody and he has reached uh international acclaim so i mean as far as that uh but there's people like 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 cease rock cease rock put out an album a few years back zero gravity i'm like how is this record not like how did this not get like you know nominated for the for the polaris at least you know or like 
how did some of these songs not end up being singles and actually try to be pushed into like you know the market and i don't know there's just there's only so much i guess uh you can do but i would say besides those two those are the two people who i was closest to that i saw really touch the highest points of uh, what you could do with music and still so i mean narcy just put out a new record it's a killer i was gonna ask you to name five montreal artists in no particular order so you just named narcy and cease rock so who is there anybody else who right off the top like comes to mind? yeah you I like or just in general yeah just, yeah, just your, your general favorite montreal artists like just name name i guess another uh, three you know, or whatever you know uh i always like penzo penzo is as I've always been uh, a big supporter of Penzo Gritty from his intoxicated days recording here at my house to actually getting his shit together and getting his life together and, and, and putting some music out and just, you know, doing shit. Those guys I always liked, um, you know, Boombat Cats were always cool. Uh, Hindu Kush, uh, you know, they had a couple good tracks. OG Hindu Kush. Obviously. Uh, Lopeshi Shades and Osa. Shades uh, of Culture. Obviously Shades of Culture. I mean, D-Shade, uh, you know, I, I produced, I executive produced his first record. His first and only record. Um, so, yeah, those guys. I don't know, man. I mean, I'd have to sit and think for a second, but there's there's tons of guys. I mean, uh, there's tons of producers, too, you know, like 6'2", under his various names whether you know it was megazoid or whatever or like uh similac or like you know johnny Ildigger, or you know what i'm saying logic johnson um yeah. you know logic johnson's a great mc who, who nobody really got a chance to hear because he put out a record and then life takes over and then the record comes out and it's like well you didn't you didn't build up no hype for the album to come out, so nobody's really looking for it. So you're already pushing hard, twice as hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that caught me off guard a little bit. I can just name you a bunch of my friends and all the people I know that I've always supported, for sure. Those those would be a lot of them. You know, BK and his partner there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch as well. But yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It's a moment to give the people a shout out um was there ever a time throughout the musical journey that you wanted to give it up oh yeah and i did a bunch of times for sure like uh giving up giving up rock music to get into hip-hop you know giving up hip-hop to get back into metal giving up metal to get back into rap (laughs) Giving rap, giving giving up rap to get into production giving up production to get into growing but DJing has always been the most consistent thing. Like, I haven't made a beat in fucking f- four years, five years probably, you know? But doesn't mean I couldn't just plug in my thing right now and put a whole album together if I wanted. But yeah. I, really have no, I really have no interest because my, my passion lies somewhere else. My passion will always lie with DJing. DJing will always be the thing that will take me out of wherever I'm at in that moment and just like make me enjoy the music and life, you know, like so many times I've had like surgery, three, three major surgeries in my life. And every time 
I've come and I'm like, oh, I'm going to a radio show because I'd rather sit in the radio show and DJ or talk shit or just be there. And it'll take me out of my space of being fucked up. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so, no, definitely there's been tons of times where I've, gi- I've given up music. But it's usually to pivot onto something else. Okay. But, not, not never all together, just so I don't want to do no, this. No, I don't think I could ever see myself not. I mean... Like, the radio show is constant. I don't think I could ever be like, I don't want to do the radio show anymore. So with that said, I'm always looking for new music. So it's like, there, there was definitely a time in the, in the radio show where I, I, uh, I wanted to give up. And that was the, the time when vinyl stopped being produced at a rate where you would get it for promos consistently on a weekly, monthly basis <laughs> to everything going digital. But at the same time, everything being hyper digital, not having to uh, Serato at the radio station, bringing my Serato, but them having the most craziest fucked up connection for the turntables to work with the mixer and work on the board that I would try to connect it and it just wouldn't work. So like a good shit, man, more than two years, maybe three years where I was playing music off my laptop on a like a program that was made for automating radio stations. It was a sad, dark time. <laughs> You've seen it all, basically. Yeah, I, I saw that transition happen. And that was around the time where Ryan left as well, you know? Because things kind of just got whatever. It's like, we didn't even feel like, it didn't feel the same anymore, obviously. Yeah. But then when Serato came back, it was like, oh, shit, okay, now I can put anything on vinyl and play it. Let's go. Yeah. And, you know, not long after you joined, and then here we are yeah man um you talked you touched on production a bit there um why don't you talk about the different um production techniques you used uh how you made beats uh maybe some some equipment you know just like the uh, sure i started off i made my first beat on the sp 1200 i had my boy do all of the all of the button shit and i just told him what i wanted and we okay. set it up like that and then I ended up buying an SP, uh, sorry, buying an ASRX, the workstation, the black one. And that was my bitch for a long, long time, at least uh, seven years, maybe something like that. And then I got into uh, machine. But initially I would, I would sample, you know, when I joined the hip hop group I was in, I had to do a um, rigorous training. And I had to I actually went up north with, the, with where Buddy's record collection was. And it was probably like four and a half feet long, five records wide, and like four records high. And it's like, you got to dig all of these records. It's like, you got to go through every one of these records. And if you find stuff, you got to write it down. If you find samples, you got to write it down. And just here. And I stayed up north at this spot for like a month. And every day I would just dig for eight, ten hours a day, uh, finding samples, being like, oh, shit, that's what that is? Oh, my God. You know, like, um, yeah, and then getting the 1200, uh, the, uh, the, the ASRX, and just sampling, straight sampling, like find the kick, like Marco Polo style. Find the kick, no kits, find the kick, find the snare that works for this sample. Not know, like, here's your seven records of all your favorite kicks and mm-hmm. all your favorite snares. I wasn't even at that point yet. It was yeah. just like, okay, this is a sick sample. Now I just keep searching for snares. 
<laughs> so like, you find something. Yeah, yeah. And like no fucking prior knowledge of what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, so yeah, I would do that. And we, I put out, I did production on our first single. The group I was in was called FBI or FBI Jedis. And that was uh, an all native hip hop group here based on the reserve. We put out, we put out like three albums and like seven mixtapes or something like that. And the first single I put, uh, we put out, I produced that. And that was one of the first uh, tracks I made on the ASRX. That song's called Justice. Uh, so yeah, that one was a Headhunters break with a, uh, what is his name? Duke Ellington sample. It was actually like six Duke Ellington samples because what I used to like to do is I would find I would find um, an album that had a certain instrument as the main instrument. And then when I would want to do my sampling, I would just create melodies from different parts of the album, not even necessarily the same song, sometimes the same song, but sometimes just to get that same sound mm -hmm. and then you'd be able to create crazy shit. Like I have so many beats that are lost, man. When I th just thinking about it right now with like the craziest, I used to love flute, cello, flute, um, uh clavico there's a few things that were like my shit and a lot of my sampling had like a lot of flute stuff it's flute or like uh xylophone different things like that <clears throat> so yeah it was just you know old school style and then it got to the point we we bought a um a roland 1010 or no 8080 which is like an eight track digital eight track and that's how i lost a lot of my beats is i would I would fill up my SRX as much as I could, drums, bass, main sample, and then I would have to save it and then restart. And then I would dump everything to that, that Roland. And then I would uh, come back, re restart the, the sampler at the same BPM, maybe have one same sample in there or something, and then continue. Or I would MIDI link, the, MIDI link it to the, to the eight track and finish creating the beat. And, and recording layer by layer by layer, which in retrospect sucked because I lost a lot of stuff because all of that is on the original eight track and I don't know where the fuck that is. My old partners, I haven't seen him in years. So yeah, we would do it like that. And then, and then it got into digital and then it was like, oh shit, I can just like digitally pull all this shit and, and then sample it into the ASRX. So we started doing that and then I got a PC and I got acid and then I was like, oh, I don't even need the ASRX. I can just drag anything. I could sample off the record player right into my sound card and I can just like copy paste and move everything physically by eye. And then that was a whole other level. And it was like, yeah. And then my, uh, my productivity definitely skyrocketed. Uh, and I was able to to learn and figure out more about EQ and placement and panning and 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 dynamics and and structure too, because you could sit there and structure a whole song rather than just having like loops. Like you could, I could have half the song together and then get a, a chorus on there and then be like, oh, no, oh, take this out, do that, whatever. Like, oh, drop a shitty verse on there just to see how it sounds. Like the opportunity, the creative expression opened up a lot. And then that led to becoming more lazy, funny enough, because you go from having a million records and sampling all this shit to like, oh, well, I have all these kits now. I'll just grab this kit, grab that kit, which is kind of cool, too, because you're getting sounds that were made to sound good together 
Whereas back in the day, you were like, well, this sounds cool, but really maybe it didn't work sonically. And in the mix, it came out shit. And you had to change that kick out anyway because it wasn't going to work because <clears throat> you had totally understood how the dynamics of placing a, a sub kick over a thick bass line just doesn't work. You know? Yeah. Or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Cool, cool. Yeah. So very, that, very uh, interesting, man. That to PC, to machine, and then I kind of ended on machine where I was using machine to to record into Acid as my DAW, and then I would record all my bass lines live into Acid, and then edit them in Acid. Same thing with any guitar or piano I wanted to use. Yeah, it was more a lot closer to the lines of um, self-production at by the end there, really. I would mm-hmm. maybe find one cool sample, but everything else I would build around it. Play nice. stuff. Or, or plugins. Because then you have all these fucking plugins. It's like, I don't even need to find a sample now. I can just use this plugin and play something. You know? Mm. Yeah, man. Yeah, I appreciate hearing that, you know, going from the actual sampling, like you said, eight hours a day for a month straight, trying to, you know, find find whatever to... To, to you know to, to going off of plugins and building around that it's uh it's a real musical journey from starting off on the guitar you know it's uh yeah. it makes me wonder like how kids nowadays are approaching it if that's if like i have to go through all that to think about how i want to create a beat like what are they doing they're just grabbing a fucking template and dropping it in to the into the the map you know what i mean and then <laughs> just changing tweaking a couple things like yeah because by the end i was doing that and i was like this is so simple yeah like the, like the last i don't know if i gave you that album i did did i ever give you access to that the album i did with all the instrumentals and a couple songs on it there was one track i did on there where it's one sample and everything else is straight taken from machine are you talking about the album that has logic johnson tokyo cease rock on it uh yeah yeah it's on that one yeah there's yeah. an instrumental on there where all the drums I took from, or all the sounds except for uh, the main sample were all taken from templates that I just adjusted, you know? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. That was, that was a good album, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was your favorite era of hip-hop and why? Uh, probably like the mid to late 90s because it was right when I was getting really immersed in it and i felt like every song i heard was just like the greatest fucking song ever like every time i would hear something i'd be like holy sh- what is this yo this is fucking ill like i felt like everything i heard and everything that was coming out was just so good just fucking on, on so many levels lyrically obviously production wise song structure and like anything, it got to a point where like 98, 99, everything was like imploding itself and like bloated and everyone wanted to just sound like Swiss Beats and which is funny because like Swiss Beats used to get dissed and even DMX dissed Swiss Beats on having to rap over keyboard beats on the second record. But now Swiss Beats is one of the greatest producers ever. And, you know, like he, and he didn't have to pay any, any sample royalties or anything like that. You yeah, know? but that's, I don't, I don't mean it like that. I just mean it. It's, it's, 
it's oh, I know you didn't mean it like that. I was just saying, as a bonus to to his style, oh, he, yeah. he didn't he didn't have to pay anybody, and he ended up. But neither you know, did a lot of people for a long time. <laughs> yeah, for a while. So, but it's just it's funny just to see things change and accept in a way where now it's like, oh yeah, do whatever you want. Like like being with Tribe for so long, seeing like how it is in that genre, it's like it doesn't matter. You have to be able to make any style of music, but just do it the way you do it and do it good. So they don't, you know, they're not just a dubstep or a techno or a, you know, whatever, whatever subgenre of dance music you want to give them. They, they can do anything. So it's, it's interesting now in the same sort of, if you look at it for hip hop, anybody can do anything now. Well, I was, I was going to bring up tribe so now that you, you just brought them up why don't we talk about uh, a tribe called red and um how, how you how you linked up with them what it is you, you do with them and uh, uh yeah. i don't do anything anymore <laughs> no, you know what i mean Buddha. Um, <laughs> pre-corona uh, pre-coronavirus I, 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 I was at a a brooklyn academy show in munch in the plateau and we're all hanging out and this dude comes up to me and he goes, Hey man, you're Buddha. Yo, I'm, I'm uh, such and such from Ottawa. You know, I'm a native DJ. I got this crew. We're doing this thing. It's really cool. I think uh, you should be involved somehow, you know, like let we, let's sit and talk. Let me, let me, let me break it down. do what, what, what we got going. I'm like, yeah, cool. And then it was like, Ring. he's like, Oh, hold on. I got to take this call. And then I never seen him again, ever. And then, like, a year later, one of the former members of the group hit me up, like, hey, what's up, man? Or I think I recently, after that, I think I had figured out, like, okay, this guy is in that same group with this guy. But I didn't know who that other guy was. So I hit him up. And I was like, hey, I, I met your buddy at the show. You know, he seemed interested in wanting to do something. We should connect, whatever. And I never heard back from them. And then, like, a year later, a uh, buddy hits, up, hits me up and is like, you know, we do this monthly in Ottawa at Babylon and we're, we got, we were able to get sponsorship and we have money to pay you and pay for your hotel. So if you want to come and DJ, would you want to come? And I'm like, of course. So I went down and that was the first time I DJed at the electric powwow. And after that, we sort of just became fast friends. You know, I started filling in. They had started to tour a little bit at that time. So anytime it came on a month where they were touring, and they couldn't DJ, they would get me to come fill in. So I did that, uh, I think, about three times. I Actually, I brought, um, I brought Tommy Cruz one time. This was when we were trying to break Tommy Cruz. So if you don't know, Mook Life had a lot to do with, with creating and, and breaking Tommy Cruz into what he's become now in the last few years. But initially, like, yeah, uh, I, we were just trying to put him on wherever we could because we wanted one of our Mooks to, to get in, you know? So uh, we, I brought him along to that. Uh, a few other things here in Montreal. They played Igloo Fest. We hung out. And then a few years back, I just got bored with life. And I quit my job. And I took all my savings. And I moved to New York. Uh, I got asked by DJ Brace, who's like a Juno award-winning Canadian DJ. He's like, yo, I got, my, I got my work permit. I'm going to New York. You should come. I'm like, yeah, sure, get a place, and I'll, I'll think about it. He got a place. He's like, look, I found a place. I was like, oh, shit, okay. So I basically quit my job, 
closed up the shop here and I moved down to um to Bay Ridge in Brooklyn. And uh, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I knew I was going to finish that record that I was telling you about. And I was going to work on my photography, which I had been doing with MOOC Life pretty heavily um, as one of the main contributors. And yeah, so I left and I just was there doing photography, working on music, uh, still doing the radio show. I had figured out a way to live broadcast a radio show from New York. I don't know if you remember that. No, that might have been, been right when you started, wasn't it? I, th- I think, it, yeah, it must be right around that time. But I don't, I don't, I don't really remember that. We figured out a way where I was able to like Skype in or something, and I would have my audio, my audio signal playing through the internet, and you guys would just broadcast my DJ set, or I would send a DJ set. But yeah, so I was in New York doing that, and then it was like, oh, South by Southwest is happening. You should. Everyone, like my, the guys in Trevor, like we're playing. You should come down, come hang out. You know, I talked to Tommy Cruz, like I'm supposed to go. My manager right now, he was supposed to get me sponsorships. He's not gotten me anything, but I'm supposed to go. And all these people I know are going to be there and this and that. I was like, okay, Tommy, get a, can you get us a place to stay while we're there? He's like, yeah, for sure. All my buddies. I'm like, okay, look, I'm going to pay for your flight from Montreal to Austin. And you're going and, and to pay me back but you're going to get us a place to stay. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, at this point he had become, you know, there was a Facebook, a Facebook um, group of all these crazy producers who are all now the big fucking producers of the day, along with people like ASAP Yams uh, who were part of this group. So they were all going to be there and he had still yet to meet any of these people, but they were all bugging out on his style and his look and the music he was making and the and the, the sets he was making. So I was like, no, bro, you're gonna you're gonna come and I'll pay for it and we'll figure it out. So we ended up doing that and I ended up linking up with Tribe and their manager was there and he was actually like, Hey man, I'm about to have my first kid. These guys are about to go on their first real tour in the States, like two and a half weeks in, in a week or something. He's like, You wanna be their tour manager? I was like, Hell yeah. I was like, I've been waiting for an opportunity to get involved and, and be more involved. I go, because I see the promise of this group, you know? So, yeah, then that was it. And then, like, 10 days later, I was in, fuck, where were we? We started in Portland, Portland up to Seattle, and then down, back through Portland, all the way down to San Francisco, and then across the country, uh, stopping and ending in, uh, New, in New Orleans, actually. Nice. Just doing a dab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I figured. So yeah, like basically became fast friends. <coughs> and then the opportunity to help them out came up. And then that just sort of turned into <coughs> what I'm doing now. And I had zero experience. I mean, I've had experience doing stuff but this is a very you know particular thing that you end up learning how to do Mm -hmm. so how was that experience just going from artist to road manager uh made me not want to make music anymore Mm -hmm. 
because when you're, I mean, you're, my my thoughts are either it would have made me wanting to do music even more or just not do it as much. And it ended up being the latter. And I think only not because I, I don't think I could have done it. I really had plans to like, you know what? I'm going to fucking start making some powwow electronic shit and let's see what we can do with it. But the more and more I got involved with the group and, and meeting new people and seeing how the, the industry is, I was just like, ugh. Like, the last thing I want to do is try to, like, get my friends to put me on while I'm working for them. That seems pretty fucking lame. So I was just like, I don't know. I'd, I'd rather do my job than try to be some guy trying to put himself on all the time, you know? Because <laughs> that's what it ended up being is I'd be in positions where if I wanted to fucking put my you know like benzino <laughs> i guess that would be a great a great uh other person to compare it to you know you're inside the machine so you can like get so much shit done if i wanted to be super scandalous i could have gotten links with so many artists that so much management with so many things to put myself in a position to do something because these people know me on on so many different levels you know mm-hmm it ended up becoming after years of, of uh, doing stuff like it fucking humbles you too, because you, you meet like people who are really big and they're like, Oh yeah. So what? You're like, you're the buddy that they decided to bring along. So you're like the tour manager. And I'm like, I actually know I've been DJing as long as the one guy and twice as long as the other guy. And I, that I knew this guy before he could even make me music. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, it definitely humbles you too when you get put in that position where it's like you either got to go 120 and be like super out there or you're not really going to get nowhere. So the music industry is a real fucking animal and I'm I'm a lot more happy being on the side of the stage than being on stage. But uh, I mean, unless I'm DJing, like that's fun. That's cool. That's yeah. There, there, there's sometimes when you get back from tour. I mean, I'm on the outside, right? I, I, I see you come back with a whole energy towards DJing, where your your DJ sets might have a lot more energy uh, than if you'd been home for a couple of months, kind of thing. You know, and not in a bad way. It's just yeah. there's this actual instead of like instead of like oh we're listening to music it's like you're 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 djing you're doing things and and i feel like that comes off of being around it and not being able to really participate it participate in it for you know let's say if you go away for a month and you come back and you're just like your your energy's like you know it's it's for sure but there's a difference in my opinion on you know being a radio dj and then being a dj playing every night for an audience there as like a show so yeah that definitely you know that definitely makes a difference but just not being able to dj is what does that yeah not being able to dj like i can't just dj if i want to now i bought a controller so when we were going out the last few times i'd sit and do a little 20 30 minute mix Mm-hmm. And I guess by experiencing like all the different sides of the game, you see, oh, this is exactly what I like doing. And you're like, well, when I get the chance to do it, that's like, because I see you having so much fun when you get back off a tour, just being in CKUT, like, th- you know, throwing tracks on. It's, uh, yeah. Definitely, because it's my turn. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. It's like, yeah. now I can, I can go and do what I do, you know, like. 
but for sure um i would say not being able to dj definitely makes you want to dj more and or listening to music while you're gone and being like oh i gotta play this like that's always been my biggest drive with being a dj is like oh i gotta play this oh people gotta hear this that's how i pushed so hard to, for action bronson to get put on in canada so hard like when I finally met the guy, he like thanked me for putting him on. Like he was like, "Oh shit, respect." Oh, that's dope. Because every, everybody I ever knew in all of Canada, when he was coming out, when that first uh, mixtape was coming out, I was like, "Yo, you gotta play this guy." Like anybody I knew, I was like, "You gotta play this guy. This guy's the shit." Like this guy, and it had nothing to do with like he sounds like Ghostface or he's this or he's a chef. It was like the beats are sick and the rhymes are nice straight up like what more do you want and he's a character but yeah so it's like i don't know i lost my train of thought there after that <laughs> no, no but i hear you i hear you um the radio obviously changed over this the years like the relevance has changed um what are your thoughts on how the radio has changed uh and where where you see progression and where you see things um going in the future i don't know that's a hard question because i feel like radio's slowly just been dying but it just never goes away so it's like i can build a bigger platform on my social media now and then slip in that i'm a dj and get listenership that way then i could trying to build listenership any other way like locally even i don't know i wouldn't even know how to do that like Unless you're in your car, most people aren't listening to the radio. So it's like you got to really be like, yo, we're streaming. Like we used to stream, check this shit. We used to stream the whole show on Ustream for like a couple years until Ustream went away. Like we would have a camera set up at one, facing one spot and we would just play the whole show. You would hear the music, you would hear the music and you would just see us in the studio chilling. And crazy we would come on we would come on and this is like way back when i'd have to ask flo when that was because he's not the stoner and would remember dates better than anybody but yeah because i remember that was when uh joey diaz was getting big and and joe rogan and they weren't necessarily they weren't on youtube yet they were on like tiny chat then on Ustream. so yeah I, definitely we could probably go back and there still shows up on the Ustream. Because then it would be cool when someone came through to rap, then you could just like, oh, I put a camera on it, unless they didn't want to be filmed. So yeah, as far as that, it's like, I really feel like, I don't, I don't know if there's going to be a progression. It's like, I'm so in it that I don't even know how other people see it anymore. You know, I'm involved in the youth culture, but it's on a different sort of a plane. It's not, it has nothing to do with radio. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think any any of the music that i'm involved with as far as my regular job where i get to see it on a larger scale deals with radio and then for my day-to-day unless you're in your car like i don't really know people who listen to the radio that's why i'm always trying to push the live or like you know get the the re-listen back on soundcloud or just try to like get people involved to go onto the site and stream it yeah, one thing I feel like um, the radio has progressed or maybe shifted over into podcasts, you know? 
that's kind of like the continuation a little bit of of radio that's talk radio that's exactly like, yeah exactly yeah that's that's like this that's like having a, fa- a long form conversation as opposed to like when i was like there was a point where i was doing this kind of radio and i was doing commercial hip-hop radio so i would i would do like two minute uh, uh, like i remember interviewing like swollen members and i was like okay look this interview is for the underground college show okay we're gonna do a long format it's gonna be like 15 minutes talk about whatever you want this okay this one this is gonna be three minutes and we're gonna break it into two segments a minute and a half each and i'm just gonna ask you bullet point questions and you just get it out to a larger audience they're like oh okay cool and bang you know what i mean so it's you have to really survey survey the audience now Mm-hmm. On sorry, no, no. I just said yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I don't know. Lost my train of thought again. This interview's going going in the dumper now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So let's transition from you know like that you know we're just talking about podcasts so i wanted to talk about the podcast that you do and everything that goes with that podcast and yeah i totally forgot about that podcast (laughs) transition oil and flowers podcast yeah no you're saying uh, you know things have transitioned to podcasts and i definitely have transitioned into doing a podcast that's that is totally true uh a very organic thing i think we're in our third season but i think we've been doing it for like four years now and what it is is um damian abraham singer for the band fucked up and also known for many different things involving wrestling and music and cannabis uh he does a uh, a podcast called turned out a punk where he interviews various people from various backgrounds that you would never think or maybe have always wanted to know that they were involved in punk. So he's been doing this for a long time. He also did some stuff with Vice and Herb, different websites, different uh, educational things. He was like, hey, man, I want to start some new podcasts. He's like, I'm going to start a wrestling podcast. I also want to start a cannabis podcast. He's like, would you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, sure. That'd be awesome. For sure. Let's do it. So he'd be like, okay, you're going to be the host, and I'm just going to be your sidekick. He's like, and you can just do everything. I'm like, all right, cool, perfect. So we did that. Uh, I think we did 10 or 12 episodes the first season, and I think we did 18 the second, and we're in the middle of the third one right now. And basically it's me and Damien just talking. I mean, we're both fortunate fortunate enough to travel the world extensively uh, on a somewhat regular basis, or we were to be able to comment and experience cannabis all over the world. So with that in mind, we sit and uh, we have a discussion just about what's going on, where we've been. Also, you know, the last couple of years in Canada, last three years at least in Canada, have had you know more than enough things to discuss as far as uh, Justin Trudeau claiming legalization and then legalization and happening and then everything that's happened since legalization. Uh, right up to even this past few weeks with, you know, some of the companies shutting down 30% of their operation. So it's, it's a lot of just basic conversation, me and him talking, you know, I'm the snob, he's the everyday guy. 
And then it'll be followed with a usually like a 15 to 20 minute interview one on one with me and somebody like whether it's a cannabis enthusiast, cannabis extractor, grower, uh, you know, uh, someone of note, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just it's educational. I want the interview part was more like because I've been doing interviews forever. You know, so I, I love to hear about people. Yeah. So many, so much of what this existence is now is perception of what, like, sorry, is giving the perception of what you want people to see. So you don't always get a real feel for certain people or for people in general. So when I approach an interview, I like to try to do it on that level. You know, I want to break the facade and get down to, to where they're from, where you're at, where you came from. How, how did we get here? So that's kind of the goal in the interview part of it. And it seems to have worked pretty successfully as far as the guests I've had. And yeah, we're going strong. We just put one out not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, our second quarantine uh, episode. And I'll surely be doing another one probably in the next couple of weeks. We try to get one a month, two a month if possible. And that's it. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a cannabis podcast. It's given me the opportunity to meet a lot of interesting people in the cannabis world all over the world. Cause you take that along with the job and it just opens up a lot of possibilities and a lot of uh, interesting interactions. So at best, you know, I get just have a lot of great stories and I get to interview a lot of cool people who I know most of the time end up becoming my friends. So it's it's a win win win. Nice, nice. Um, anything else you want to mention to the people about the podcast? Um, well, they can listen to it on all of the major platforms. You can go to Spotify. You can go to iTunes Podcast. You can go to Google Play Music, and they're all there. the The second and third season are all on our own channel, which is Oil and Flowers Podcast. The first season is scattered about on the turned out a punk channel so if you search it you'll find it uh, but it may not all the first season won't be on the same channel other than that you can uh, go to uh, instagram it's uh oil and flowers podcast i just hit 3k on there today actually nice and uh yeah i've been doing a lot of memes basically the 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 page is a lot of uh cannabis stuff and then the stories are funny memes and uh, social social commentary mm-hmm. yeah that's it check it out if you have a chance all right all right um is there anything that you do outside of music or you know anything that we talk spoke everything that we spoke about that we find might be interesting or might surprise us i uh, i just started beekeeping oh yeah that's true yeah so uh my brother brought it up um earlier in the year there's these Australian company that did a uh, a, go, a go starter or what do you call it? Crowdfund, basically. For the GoFundMe? New stock. Yeah, no, uh, crowd. Yeah, something like this. Yeah. Uh, but it's for a business. There's a certain one, I think, for businesses. Okay. Doesn't okay, matter. Cool. Yeah. It's not important. But they started it. Okay. So they started this a company in Australia. And what it is, is, is it's a system of hive where you don't actually have to pull out the frames and use like a hot knife and like get all the honey 
cut it. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they have to use a hot knife and you cut away the layer of wax that the bees create. And then under there is the honeycomb with the honey in it. And then you can either cut out the combs or some people have like a machine that you sort of just squash it and it, all the honey comes out and it's collected. So this is obviously a laborious and a messy uh, thing. So these Australians figured out a way where they have these like carbon fiber cones, but they're almost, they're like not totally complete and they're movable. So what you do is you can stick this, this uh, arm thing into the frame and you turn it and it'll close the combs. So they're just almost closed, but not quite. And what, what you'll do is you'll use this to collect the honey. So how I'll just to quickly explain, I won't get deep, but how a beehive works is the the hive, the box, they call it a broad box, has these, all of the slats with the different cone, with all the cones in it. And in that bottom broad box, you have the queen. So the queen is there and her job is she puts her eggs into each one of those little holes of the comb. And then the, all the other worker bees, you know, they fill it up with honey and then they cap it off. And then that's where the new bees are born. Now, when you want honey, what you do is you put a little thing on top of that box and then you put a second box on top. And now the queen can't get up there because she can't fit because the only because she's a little bit bigger and she doesn't go outside of the hive usually very much. So she can't get up there. So she stays in the bottom, but all the other bees will go and continue doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is setting up these combs and then getting them filled with honey and then um, closing them off. You know, in that time, the, the queen should have gone and put the, the babies in, but she's not there. So once it's filled, now you take that, you take that uh, arm again, you stick it into the slot, you, pull, you open a little spout at the bottom, you stick in a tube, and you literally turn the, the, the cones open again, and it releases all the honey. And then the honey just comes out. You don't have to touch anything. It just pours out into your whatever. When you're done, you close it back, and literally as the honey is coming out, the bees are already there fixing it, getting it ready for, the, for another set of cones because there's only a little bit of, of wax, right, that they have to finish. So once you've spread it apart, it breaks apart. They probably go in there, clean it off, and then they start filling it again. So it's just like a super next-level way of getting the honey out. So my brother told me about this, and I had seen it, and he's like, let's buy one each. So he got he got one, and then I got one, and and then he ordered his bees, and I, I waited too long. His bees came earlier, but we were lucky enough someone up the street from him has a, a, all these hives, so we're able to get one. So now he has a hive. Uh, they're done. They're done building their hive. So now he's put the second layer on, and now they're gonna fill that for honey. Mine is uh, still finishing their hive, so maybe another week or two, and then I'll be able to put this contraption on top. And then they'll start filling that with honey. And then maybe two weeks after that, I can start taking honey out. So I'll have my own raw honey. It's just super cool. And like, I've learned a lot about bees and like we fucking need bees or we're all going to die because they pollinate everything. So yeah. grow fruit and everything. So it was like last year, there was a grower guy who was doing a thing where if you paid into getting a hive, you would, um, you would also get seeds of this special strain that he was selling. And I was like, really interested. The whole thing interested me, but you know, the U S the U S fucking exchange is ridiculous. And I was like, I was like, yo man, I'm like, I'm sorry. I can't. I'm like, it's like almost double with the exchange. 
And then I like saw this stuff and I started looking into it and I'm like, you can just do this here. Like, let's do this here. And my brother's like, yeah, let's do it. I got a spot. I'm like, fucking right. So it's, it's happening. So that's something I've been uh, getting into. Yeah. You know, I've always, I've always loved growing. I wanted to get a chicken coop. My brother already has chickens. So it's like, I guess I don't need to, but that's been something I've been thinking about. So on top yeah. of help, helping the environment, like how much honey do you get from, does this, does this thing bring so, a lot of honey? Like what kind of? So the, um, so the, the, sla- the, 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 um, I always forget what they call it. The frame. So there's seven frames in this, in this box. And each frame, I think, pulls out a, a like 100 milliliters, like a liter. A thousand milliliters, sorry. Yeah, so a liter. I think it's a liter. A liter or a quart? How much is a, a quart compared to a liter? Well, if a thousand milliliters is a liter. Um, well, what do you mean? What's, what's a quart exactly? <laughs> a, quart, a quart or what? A quart, quart. Yeah. of liquid it's like you ever see a milk quart where they have the like handle it's a lot more than a liter i'm not sure but it's a lot it's You're talking about like a gallon there you go maybe it is a gallon four liters it might be four liters it's a lot though out of all once all the frames are emptied it's a lot of honey oh cool so and, and that's every every how long up to depending but it could be two to three weeks crazy which is amazing so it's like probably do uh, uh some small batch and can find well first and foremost hand it out to all my friends and family and then whatever extra try to sell it obviously because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's definitely more than enough honey <laughs> yeah for sure but it's always good to have it you know and you can do so much with it you could change the consistency you could sell it as white honey you could do this do that also the bee pollen is really good for you that's what i'm really excited about is to get some bee pollen eat that shit it's like super food what kind of benefits do you get from that well for one if you have uh allergies and you eat local honey from your area in the in the in the winter leading up to spring you'll have less of an effect when the pollen hits like i know so many people used to have to hit a claritin all the time you know when once yeah. uh spring yeah. comes well if you if if you're getting honey from uh, a place whose bees are using the pollen from whatever it is you're allergic to or is in that area like literally say you were my brother and you had allergies and he ate that honey he wouldn't get allergies or I can't okay say he, i can't say he wouldn't but it would help with the situation yeah because you're inoculating yourself right yeah yeah eat, eating the pollen that's that's cool yeah. that's cool and like and the pollen has a lot of uh a lot of anti-inflammatory stuff and yeah bees man bees are the shit i'm like super i'm super excited today was today actually was the first day i went and i pulled out the frames and we're looking at the frames we're trying to find the queen actually that's cool find the queen. <laughs> And then, and then, um, actually, she lays queens. So I was telling my brother we need to try to find the queen when they when she lays it before she they kill it, and then we collect it, and then we can start a third hive on our own. Because what they do is they'll they'll lay queens, but they just kill them because they only want one queen. But if you can get to the queen, that new queen before the your current hive's queen kills it, you can put it in a new hive, and you then... just take one of the you just take one of the one of the the frames 
that have bees on them and you put it in there with the with the new queen and then they'll just start building that hive it's it's amazing man it's really amazing that's it's, cool it's like yeah some cool shit for sure you could just sit there sit there and watch all day just watch them come in and out of the hive or just like you take the top off and watching them like i'll send you some photos bro like yeah so far everything looks pretty cool man it's been a nice i guess nice coronavirus uh project since having to spend a little bit more time at the crib yeah well it's like you said uh i tend to be uh i like to say hyper focused some like to say obsessed you like to say uh passionate so you know once i get once i get into something i gotta like check myself because i'll get deep 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 but some stuff i don't mind because it's like yeah let's go all the way with it yeah because it's only bringing good things right exactly yeah man. Exactly. so yo you, you've been a, a radio host a dj producer executive producer engineer. road engineer <laughs> mixer yeah, I used to uh, you, you mixed a project a project that i did you know um yeah, I, I, you know what i I, I mixed a bunch of dub plates for Ma, for Macer. Jeez. Actually, a bunch of his dub plates, I mixed a bunch of them. Shout out to Macer. Them. Shout out to Macer. Man. Um, so, like, in this hip-hop, you know, in this Montreal hip-hop history, what would you like people to remember about you as an artist and as a man? Wow. Just, uh, you know, the the loud Indian guy who smoked a lot of weed that put everybody on that, you know, was worth being put on i don't know man just i, I always I, I all i've ever wanted to do is play good new music for people get people as excited about the things that i was hearing as i was when i found something and that's how i still am like fuck when i started playing ito or vidon or like flea lord or like all these guys who are like were nobodies and now they're like they're really in their groove and it's like, oh fuck, see? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's 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 all I'm trying to do is like push that music that catches fire because I see the potential and that's that's what I enjoy. Just finding new stuff and trying to share it. And putting people on whenever I can, you know. Yeah, man. I I have to extend well not extend, but I have to say thank you for, for putting me on the radio. Um when it you came to yeah, when it came to just putting <laughs> putting a mix out, you know, you were like, yo, just give me a mix to play at the end of the show. And then you're like, if you want to come through to the radio, you know, that was my first radio experience is coming through it off the hook and just talking about the mix that I did for you. And and uh, you were like, you know, if you want to come back next week to DJ during the instrumental part, just come through. And that was that was just a, a blessing, man, and a gift. So I have to, got to yeah. say thanks for putting me on, man, and 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 keeping me straight with everything. If the mix was off, you'd tell me, you know. If the the volume was was whatever, you would tell me. And if, even uh, when it came down I to my you music, me, you know. Yeah, and even when it when it came down to my music, uh, if you didn't like whatever, you were like, yo, that that's that's snare sound. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> exactly, and that I I appreciate that so much and people people need that honesty because it, it you know if you get honesty it always comes from a from a good place from a better place than someone's trying to tell you stories you know so man if there's one thing i can say is you know if i ain't saying nothing i don't give a fuck you know 
Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. My yeah. my biggest weapon is silence. <clears throat> but yeah, no man, you're um, I'm happy you're you're still here doing it and it's like you've been someone who brought uh a fire back to the show because it was like just me, me and Flo. And yeah, to have you come and you be someone younger who's back into the scene as much as I was when I was your age. Ah, when I was your age. <laughs> like ten but like ten ten years basically before I started touring so much where I was never around. Mm-hmm. It's like once I moved to New York, MOOC life sort of ended with the with the Olympics. So it's like that whole connection to the scene wasn't even there anyway. So I was gone. And then it's like, you know, I was gone for almost half a year. And when I came back, I was never home after that. So it's like my connection to any kind of scene going on was gone. So to have you come through was just awesome because you're in it and you're passionate. And it was like, come on, we need the next generation. It's always going to be, it's, there's going to be someone after you who's going to take my fucking place and you're going to take my place at some point. You know what I mean? Like, not necessarily, but you know what I mean? Like, it's always going to yeah, be... Yeah, just the, the idea that, of yeah, the, it just the torch being passed, to, exactly. passed on, you know? Yeah. It's like, it like, it like Pat Rec, Orion, Flo, right? Pat Rec ended up becoming, like, the manager for, like, stars and, like, all these other things. And then he was the head of fucking uh, Gillette or whatever it was called at that time, like, the biggest company that makes all the shows. Sorry, Pat. I don't remember what it's called, but... They changed it so many times. But you know what I mean? Like, he went on to so many other things and passed the torch on to me, where then it was just me, Flo, Orion. And then, you know, Orion left, and then it was passed the torch on to me, me and Flo. Flo's just always been the backbone. Like, Flo is off the hook. You know what I mean? But then I seen you, you came, and then, like, even Tokyo, trying to bring Tokyo along just because we need that, that extra next generation even if it is just to ridicule him because he's a funny motherfucker man a lot of love for tokes man a lot of love for, for sure. i was and, just messaging uh, him the other day like yo you gotta get on zoom it's like y'all not with the times guy <laughs> does your phone work he's like not even guy i was like i was talking to him on twitter this guy's on the uh, flip phone uh, man what do you expect well i don't know how he's got twitter on the flip phone but i think he has some sort of tablet uh, so yeah there you go but yeah, man, shout out to Tokes, shout out to Flo. So much love for those guys. Definitely. But, uh, yeah, man. Um, is, is there, I just wanted to say, like, are there any random hip hop stories that just come to mind over the years uh, that you could think of that, that you know, memorable mm. or? One, one good story was, uh, well, one of my favorites was DJing for Gang Green at belmont just like i don't even know how the fuck that happened i just remember they gave me the usb key with all the beats and i dj'd for oh no and alchemist for that night that was sick crazy um seeing uh, ari the rugged man ridicule orion and fuck with him on purpose because that's what he used to do at for fun and just like yeah just fucking take take it out all on orion the whole set just fucking with him the whole time making it off the beat and like just doing shit like even the beats i think were fucked up on purpose so he could do it it was like a whole bit like some andy kaufman shit you know what i mean okay <laughs> okay it's like it's a total play but the only person who knows it's the joke is already is already 
And he probably just has a good laugh about it afterwards. Exactly. But I've seen him do it a couple times, so I know it's sort of a, an act. But mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, walking in walking in on nonfiction on their la- one of their last shows ever before they broke up and, like, feeling the tension that that band was fucking going to break up. And, like, oh. But I was like, hey, guys, what's up? And then, <laughs> But I had, it's funny because during that time, I had gotten really close with Necro not close like we're homies but like really helping him promote all his projects because he was putting all these fucking psychological project albums out at the same time right all the solo members of nonfiction back to back and um i got to interview all of them so it's funny i remember sabak was just like hey i recognize that voice what's going on buddha and like everyone else was just like who the fuck's this guy but yeah you could see the tension and then we found out like not long after that they broke up but that was their last one of their last shows <laughs> show here in Montreal. That was dope. Um, watching like <laughs> seeing seeing um, uh, Flava Flav pacing backstage on a cell phone for like a bunch of the set because the way we were sitting, we could see the side stage and we could see the stage. And watching like whoever was on at that time and just seeing like him freaking out and then finding out years later through Orion that it was because he was trying to buy crack. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> or drugs, I don't know, but I would imagine it was crack or cocaine. But yeah, I don't know. Those are all memorable. That show in general was super memorable. Another super memorable show was seeing the whole boot camp click at, uh, for a hot minute, they were doing shows uh, at that venue on St. Saint- Catherine and St. Laurent. Saints. Yeah. Yeah. And- I also saw a great set from Mob Deep there. That was, those are two really phenomenal shows for sure. Cause the whole, and then obviously gang, uh, Gangstar um, at Spectrum, which doesn't even exist anymore. That was a great venue uh, at Spectrum for the decade of uh, decadence or aggression or whatever that compilation was called. Uh, yeah. Full clip decade of excellence. Decade of excellence. See, there was a, Slayer album called Decade of Aggression. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, those would be some, some really cool shows. Obviously, the uh, the first time Action Bronson played Montreal when we did the Mook Life party, and he was he was tossing out um, prosciutto into the crowd. Yeah. Him and Nessar and uh, uh, Joe Lejeune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some good, good, some good shows. Good shows. Good shows. Big Crit, Big Crit at Belmont. That was an incredible show. I was like, that's the first artist I've seen who has like chill music, able to make his live show super hype, even though his songs are all kind of chill. Yeah, I'm sure I'm missing some, but those are definitely some some fun highlights. Mm-hmm. Spectrum. I didn't get to go to any shows at Spectrum. Spectrum was it was kind of like. Um, the one there on Saint Cat on Saint Laurent, right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Show uh, Club Soda. Who opened for Gangstar when they when they came through? Oh, who did who did open up for Gangstar? I know they had this. Uh, 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 what was his name? Stacks something Stacks Hannibal Stacks. Remember okay. Hannibal Stacks played? You know what? It might have been a local opener, but I don't okay. remember. 
Okay. It wasn't memorable, obviously. <laughs> that was a good one too. Was um, J Live, uh, J Zone, and Lewis Logic at Fafun, and we heard about this after the fact, but um, J Zone came out in like a, his grandmother's fur coat. And he does this whole thing in this like old lady fur coat, but he was like six with like a hundred sick with like a hundred and something degree fever, doing that whole show. But yeah, that that was a dope show. Only time he ever came to Montreal, I think. That's See, cool. Even him, like now he's a drummer, and now he does like a podcast about drumming. He puts out um, drum yeah, kits, yeah. you know, yeah, he, on vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. Have you bought any? No, I almost did one time. I forget why I didn't. Let's, uh, maybe there's so I don't know. I forget 30, why. Thirty-five percent plus exchange. <laughs> U.S. price. Yeah, that's that's usually what does it for me. And then the duty at the door. Well, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you don't get the duty, or you just get dutied all over. Yeah. Like I'm still waiting for stuff. I ordered, <laughs> I ordered fucking pray for Paris merch, which was the uh, the West Side Gun Drop. And and they canceled my order. I don't know why. And then because I'm like, it never got here. It's like, oh, we sent you your money back. I'm like, what do you mean? And then we ordered some other stuff. I ordered another thing. I'm waiting for that. And then my boy ordered another thing. I ordered for him. And we're still waiting. It's I'm waiting for stuff from BC. Apparently, there's mountains, and I don't mean piles. I mean mountains of mail still waiting to be scanned in Montreal and in uh, Mississauga. As far oh as yeah, kind of the post. So. I believe it. I believe it. But then I had a buddy send me something from BC and it got here in like four days. So, so maybe it's the size or I don't know. Anyway, off topic, but yeah. Those are some of my memorable... Maybe intercap between you know Canadian cities, maybe it's not as much as the stuff coming from other countries because of the corona and all that stuff. I don't know. Well, I sent something to somebody in Cali and it got there in four days from here. All right, well... <laughs> Just last week. Must be random then. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, I guess those would be my, uh, I wouldn't say top, but those would, those would be some of the ones that come to mind. I've been lucky enough to see uh, a few good hip-hop shows. For sure. Yeah, man. And take part in them, sounds like. So. Yeah, I mean, for a, point, for a moment, I was like the host and or de facto DJ at a lot of those shows, which is always cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's it. Sure, I'll think of something after the fact. DJing for Narcy uh, at Jazz Fest in front of, uh, I think it was like 50,000 people. And then yeah, they that was dope. Happy birth- they sang me happy birthday. Yeah, I was one of those people singing singing for you. Man. <laughs> that was that was a crazy hip-hop show that I was involved in. Ten-piece band. Yeah, that was, that was dope, man. That was dope. Yeah, that's... Uh, Another cool hip hop moment would be going with uh, with two hip hop artists and driving to Manhattan or was it Manhattan? Madison Square Garden is that in Manhattan or Brooklyn? Yeah, that's in Manhattan. Yeah, to Manhattan and recording with uh, Inspector Deck and Buckshot. Jeez, like being in the studio while they while they recorded verses for songs for these two Canadian artists. That was crazy. Sorry. You gonna name those Canadian artists, or? Yeah, uh, Anakin Slade did a track with uh, Inspector Deck, 
and then Dishay did a track with uh, Buckshot. Buck, Buckshot, yeah. Dope. Yeah, yeah. Now you can cut to like those tracks. You can cut to my tracks. So much shit you can do with this interview, you know. Chop it down. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, if the whole world was uh, listening right now, what would your message be? Uh, everybody should at least do mushrooms twice and smoke more hash rosin. <laughs> it'll make you nicer. Or it'll make you sleep. And everybody needs a good night of sleep. <laughs> That's a good answer, man. <laughs> I didn't know what I'm to expect. Right I didn't know what to expect from you with, with that question. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect either. That was a good Buddha answer. So yeah, man, um, I want you to take a moment to shout out all of your Instagrams, your SoundClouds, uh, any, any place where you want people to go listen to your music slash connect with your podcast slash connect with you. Sure. Um, they can go to, uh, on SoundCloud, it's Buddha Blaze, B-U-D-D-A Blaze. On Twitch, it's DJ Buddha Blaze. Um, if you want to check out the podcast, it is oil and flowers podcast on everything basically spotify itunes google i'm on I, i'm on youtube but there isn't a lot on there just because youtube is a fucking pain in the ass to create um video for just to put audio up it's uh, it's, just a, it's a pain in the ass so there and um yeah oil and flowers podcast on instagram you can check me sunday nights on Uptown Grow Lab on YouTube. I do a, an hour-long session with my man, JJ, from Uptown, from Uptown Grow Lab. We do it 11 to midnight uh, East Coast, which is 8 to 9 West Coast. And yeah, uh, just look out for the podcast. I always got new podcasts dropping at least once a month, if not uh, more. Nice, nice. So Buddha, man, thanks for thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, oh, and, and of course the radio show is off the hook. Radio. Yeah, man, tonight midnight to two a.m. Yeah. Ckut.ca ninety point three FM. We'll see if it's a repeat because I only got like two hours to send them a new show, and you haven't <laughs> mix yet. So you might be listening to a, re a repeat tonight. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Uh, probably. <laughs> yeah, man. Shout out to you uh, putting together great shows uh, throughout the whole Corona. I know you've been digging for a lot of new music every single time uh, yeah, and, uh, you know and, and reaching out to, to different DJs to, to, to put out mixes. So it's, it's dope, man. I mean, if all goes well, I have a mix from Busy Rock tonight. So check it out. Much thanks to DJ Buddha Blaze for taking time to do that interview for us. Hope you all enjoyed that. And now we're for, the, for the remaining of the show, we're just going to get into uh, a mix by DJ Buddha Blaze from uh, a recent virtual powwow that's available on his soundcloud i believe so just go check him out um instagram and all that soundcloud and all that and uh yeah enjoy the music and tonight midnight to 2 a.m uh off the hook radio with dj buddha blaze flow tokyo kid myself have a great day peace dj buddha blaze You're sitting at home doing this shit, and you should be out of a medal for this.
stop fucking around and be a man. There ain't nothing out here for you. But yes, there is. This. What you coming, nigga? What you coming, nigga? We DJ Buddha Blaze. I've been selling dreams of sleepers, nigga. Tell the truth, that's the perfect business. Cause in the drought, I was paying double for some work that wasn't even worth the ticket. Place scrapers with the work to get it. Check my bank statements, probably hurt your feelings. How I'm in every verse admitting how I work at kitchen like it's church's chicken. What you know about taking bags cross state on a half a tank of gas? The first around ain't no work around. You gotta hit it twice just to make it last. Take a quarter, you make a quarter. Put that together, that'll make a half with a coke compressor. It's Matter of fact, ain't tellin' niggas shit Who are these niggas? I think they all overrated I think they all are outdated I'm independent, but they think that I'm soundin' shady Cause my jewelry look like I made it Just got a house, I need a brand new Mercedes We kickin' ass like the babies I'm on a grind, I link with the plugs that I met One more time if these labels don't pay me Ugh. I remember when I first told my father Who I was dealing with Yo, like, DJ Buddha Blaze on the set What's going on, all virtual? Virtual powwow for the next hour. I'm gonna drop you some Griselda, some New York, Rochester, Buffalo hip hop. Let's go. Picked up my mama house, came back carrying things in. I'm careful because they give you five for a robbery, but they burying kingpins. The real trenches, war with the feds, nigga. And I'm talking real business. For Duffer was plea to a 20, they forced on the trial. He come back on the pill sentence. These investigations current, nigga. The wiretaps got me playing it safe. Earl how about it if you think I'm frontin' about that 20 grand a day This the only block on the east side where the dope shooters all come and get it Quarterback and plays from a kitchen how I honor student gonna come a chemist At my mom crib having flashbacks, 10 guns on me like a Mad Max Put the team on with the last batch, but you niggas never gonna be half that Riches or jail bars with some niggas that I burn in hell for. I was feeling like the cause was dealt wrong. Got my money up and put my cell phone, motherfucker. Sure enough, a few months later, it was like 7:30 in the morning. I heard some loud banging at the door. Benny went to the window and said, "Bay, it's the police." I swear my heart dropped. Driving, hoping I don't crash Loyal cause you feed them that'll only last long As I'm ballin' bulls versus the jazz And before you niggas ever got some cash I can put 200 grams on every half That's another 20 if you do the math Carry zeros over every time I add West side of deal, nigga, I was glad Got me out the hood, I was down bad Still owe my plug for another half Every time you bring my name up, he get mad Then I turn my flip phone to a stash Six figures legal money, that ain't bad Three times felon, now I run a business Every plug I ever met, I made them cash Before I rode a tour bus, made a full jump 30 bands on me made me sad I could turn the front door to a drugstore Make any kitchen to a lab Man, I hear these drug stories and I laugh Talking about the coke sales they never had Pull up on a nigga, you gon' know the pad Only house with a Bentley on the brass But everything is different now Everything is legal Benny doing what he love to do
that was soft to rip. I do more than pimp, we not mortal men. Niggas saying I'm just saying sucker dick. Playing purple rain, racing in the rain. Breaking holes with change, European taste. I just caught a lick, I just caught a break, I just caught a break. I can fuck your whore today. She do what I fucking say, like a puppet on the string. I just got a couple mix. I'm a motherfucking king. I quick to go pimp on the hole, put something big in the throat. This how the shit gonna go. I'm not with the rigmarole. Watch with a dip in the road. This was a different approach. I'm switching the poles. I'm switching the poles. Oh, 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 oh. I just caught a lick. 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 Self-esteem get shattered uh, Watching Harlem nights on charted flights I gave Cassandra hard pipe, the pussy farted twice Nicholas and wrist were ice, I got spice uh, Y'all niggas sound alright, but I'm nice Jewelry glistening, pit up, half the roof missing, roof quits. Stuffed chicken getting fed by two bitches. Tying up the loose cinders, 
smack him with your 49's tooth missing Laid him on the table, had the pool stick him Just glories, glories, fly Lock low, ah. Tiffany handles on the white gold stove. Thirty in the oven, these niggas saying buggers. I'm on the yard with the bone crusher, like luncheon. Like luncheon. Like luncheon. Ah. Yo, I want me and my niggas to have back to back yachts. Lick the M16, I got one on my ass. Shout out to everybody in chat. Shout out my tribe called Red Family. I see you. Imagine if this was the last poem I write. Imagine your mom still in lines of white. Imagine if you're in the Immediately after the hit, I lit a stick, dick. It was a brick, cracked the hand, was that a fifth? I took a big swig with the pen, niggas been said I'm a rich kid. I had to get your top head as a pop quiz. I've been popping since pocket big. Popping a clip that made my pockets big. Run down to your squad a click like a rhinoceros. They hide like ostriches. You know the game where the object is to make sure that the ops get hit. The mobs clean the bums up, wash the rinse. Wash choppers like a hydrant. They permanently shut a nigga eyelids. The nine with the silence on the tip, it looks stylish. Vibrant. You already know the vibes, my nigga. Divines is tiger skin, it's not wise, my friend. Nah. Play both sides of the fence. Knowing it's a thin line between minds and heads. Time and dollar spent, collars drip, llamas and hollow tips. I promise to catch a homo every time I spare. Yeah. Yo, the truth shelf is more than a liar did. Shout out to Ito. I could fly a pig. The sharpest knife in the kitchen came out of mama's crib. You'll never see it my way. I'll trade my eyes for his. I cook a pot the fizz, dimes big. You get a clean cut, fine jig. You're dumber than a blind wig. Stop doing time, kid. Time to live. They address his name. I find a crib. His father hid behind the fridge. They know the grinding biz. Little nigga, mind your biz. Ain't got a dime to give. 7 30, what time it is. Dig. Explain to Frank what a house is He don't fly straight either Read the fine print Where that time went They in and out now Call for loogie on them Splash your cheeks Skin the scalp down I keep it thorough, nigga Support the lifestyle Yeah Blow the lifestyle Right now Big ghost brought that food In a cold, behold, I'm in the robe, chicken popping on the stove. We dove, 
Head first into the Angus, turn beef to anguish Me and my plug speaking Spanglish when we make arrangements Yo, it's the kid who still saran wrap these up Ease up, unless you got the brand for my anthrax feature We gonna shit it on your zip code you? I've been dope since Buster said flip mode Took the clock to the jeweler, now it's the skit So you and your feelings probably praying to the Lord I fall I'm fresh to death in my fucking bag like I'm at the morgue I still might rock the same fit for three days and pump Like fuck the stage in the stool Arturo just gave me stuff to leave your faces numb I save the crumbs and make another sale Until I'm sailing and I never gotta touch a scale Till then I circumvent the scales of justice Let the chronic burn up I keep the whole shit flooded cousin that's word to Irma You would think I'm Eric Andre the way I burn up You would think I'm Eric Leshner the way I turn up Y'all keep underground rap this shit is bloody murder You be underground like Sojourner or a fucking turn up Now don't forget to thank us please And show up with them big fast Frankies please Shout out to Trudeau for that 2k Everything else is secondary. Please share the stream. Tell everybody tip hop till the next hour. Few cebollas for the ensalada. If it's water, cross the border for the enchilada. Mi pana always flipping birds. Pollo a la brasa. Running so much game that I could con shaka. Make your wifey smuggle black and put it in her nalga. But I'm tired of playing a strip serving cocoa. Rather be playing the beach opening coconuts. Where I can kick my feet up and adopt an octopus with plenty crops and cush, exotic drops to push, hummingbirds singing, wedding bells ringing, until then it's